record. So the quick review is that Yehuda approaches Yosef and says, you got to let my little brother Benjamin go. You can't keep him as a slave. And as Rashi told us, there were some threatening hints in between the lines that Joseph, uh, that Yehuda was giving to Joseph, who he didn't know was Joseph, was the viceroy. And Yosef at one point decides the game is up. And he's going to reveal himself to his brothers. He tells all the Egyptians, get out of the room. He doesn't want to embarrass his brothers, even though he's putting his life at risk by doing so. And he says, I am your brother, Yosef, that you sold to Egypt. Now do not be sad because God is the one who sent me here. So he reframes everything that happens, not as I was sold to Egypt, but rather I was sent to Egypt, which is, of course, the lesson eternal lesson of the Torah to all of us. We're not sold anywhere. We're not victims of circumstance like the three stooges are, but rather we are sent. Any situation that we find ourselves in is a mission. We're sent on a mission there. We're not victims to that situation. And the brothers are kind of embarrassed. They're shocked. So they back off. He tells them to come close. And he asks incredulously, is father still alive? Can it possibly be? As the Rebbe explains it. And now this aliyah, this section, section number three of the Parsha, continues with Yosef's comments to his brothers. Eight. Va'ata and now, lo atem shlachtem oti It's not you that sent me here. Ki ha'lokim. It's God. You may have been the vehicle of it. This is a very interesting uh, philosophical concept that the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, the first Chabad Rebbe, discusses in, in the part of Tanya called the Gerat HaKod. He says, everything that happens to us, even if it was done to us by, by another person who has free will, it cannot happen without God signing off on it, God agreeing for that to happen. So that raises a philosophical conundrum. If somebody comes over to my car window, my brand new Toyota Carolla, and he smashes the window, and I say, hey, what are you doing? He, broke, he just broke my window. I'm gonna... He says, well, it was God's will that your window would, would be broken. He pulls out a Tanya, and he says, look, it says it right here, that nothing can happen to you unless God willed it. So what are you getting upset at me? So the Alter Rebbe addresses that. He says... The reason that the one who commits the crime, who commits the offense, the reason that he is culpable is because the reason that he did it, his intent, right? Intent is what percentage of the law? But it, the, the intent of the person is important. And his intent was not to fulfill God's will, but rather to break my window. And so he is, he is judged for his evil choice. It happens to be that God, through his master computer in the, in the heavens, used that person or put that person in a situation where you would have the free choice to do so or not, and used that person to, to get the result that he wanted. However, the person who did it, it was not for the sake of God that he did it. He did it for his own evil intention, and therefore he is responsible for what he did. But for me, as the victim... It makes really no difference um, what his intention was. What his intention was, 
God wanted my window to be broken. And this is what Yosef is saying in this verse. He says, it's not you. You sold me to Egypt. There's nothing to do with you from my perspective. You've got your own issues that you have to repent for. But as far as I'm concerned, you had nothing to do with my coming on to Egypt. God was sending me to Egypt. He made me a father to Pharaoh. Rashi will say what that means because that seems a bit of an odd expression. And a master over his household. And a ruler over all of the land of Egypt. Rashi says, what is a father? A colleague and a protector. Interesting. It uses this word va'ata and now twice. Used it in yesterday's uh, reading where he says, and now do not be do not be upset, don't be sad. And he says again, va'ata, it wasn't you. Verse 9. Now he starts giving him instructions. Maharu Hurry up and quickly. As the Rebbe explains it. The reason he's saying hurry is because his father has been suffering for all these years. And now that the time is up for his father to stop suffering, he says, go quickly so that he is, he hears the good news as soon as possible because his, his very health is dependent on it. Balu, I love you, go up to my father. As we said, going up from Egypt to Israel, there's going up. Martim, I love and say to him, so said your son Yosef. Elohim has made me a Adon, a master over all of Egypt. Come down to me. Do not literally stand. He says, do not tarry. Don't wait. Do it now. The Rashi says, go up to my father. The holy land is higher than all lands. Verse 10, come down to Egypt. Where are you going to stay? We have a nice place for you in the land of Goshen. You will be close to me. You and your children and your grandchildren and your flock and your cattle and all that is yours. The animals always get mentioned. Never forgotten. They're a big part of what's going on. Verse 11, I'm going to support you there. Why? There's another five years of famine coming. And as we mentioned yesterday, it's really not going to be. Once Yaakov comes, it's over. But Yosef doesn't know that apparently. Lest your household be impoverished. Impoverished. It's poor. Rosh is poor. Is a poor, poor person. You and your household, and all that is yours. Verse 12, Behold, your eyes see, the and the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that is my mouth speaking to you. What does he mean by saying, it is my mouth that is speaking to you? We'll see in Rashi. Let's look at Rashi. Your eyes see the glory that I have, and that I am your brother, that I am circumcised like you. What do you mean, my mouth? He means the language. I'm speaking to you in the holy tongue, in the holy language of Hebrew. The eyes of my brother Benjamin. 
he separates Binyamin, but it's as if to say, just like I have no hatred for Binyamin, who had no part in, my, in, in selling me, it's just the same way I feel about him, that's how I feel about you. There is no hatred in my, my heart against you. And by the way, um, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day about the Parsha, and he says, oh, Yosef is really giving it to his brothers. This was in last week's Parsha, two weeks' Parsha ago. And it's very clear from the whole story that really he's not attempting to take revenge from his brothers or torture them, but rather, as we explained yesterday, to bring them to this point where they can do, where they can show that their colors have changed, that the leopard has changed its, its spots. And instead of selling Yosef down the river, as they had done, they're putting themselves on the line for Benjamin, his brother. And this, again, quite remarkable that he's able to put it past him and say, no hard feelings at all. And the brothers will not do not believe this. In fact, we'll see later at the, at the end of, of next week's Parsha that after Yaakov dies, the brothers are afraid that now Yosef is going to get us. He's going to take his revenge now that father had died. So they can't even believe this, but it's amazing. Verse 13, we got it to Mlavi, you shall tell my father is called all of my glory in Egypt. And everything that you saw. Hurry. Tells them again, bring down my father to here. Now, he falls on the neck of his brother, Benjamin, and he cries. So this is, he just revealed that he's a brother. First thing he goes to Benjamin, he cries on the shoulder. Benjamin cries on Yosef's neck. Rashi, very interesting, says, you would think this is just about, you know, emotional meeting of brothers after 22 years. Rashi says there's more to that. They were actually looking into the future. They had prophetic visions. And when Yosef falls on Binyamin's neck, he is crying over the two holy temples, Batei Mikdash, that are going to be built in the section of Israel, the territory of Israel that is of Binyamin namely in Jerusalem and the Temple Mount, that's a part of Binyamin, even though in general that's Judea, a strip of land belongs to Benjamin, including the Harabayit, the Temple Mount. And those are going, and he sees that eventually those temples are going to be destroyed. This is quite fascinating, that here they haven't met for 22 years, they're embracing, and Yosef is foreseeing what's happening thousands of years later, the destruction of the two temples, that will be built in Benjamin's part of the Holy Land. And why is Benjamin crying? Also about a prophetic vision on Mishkan Shiloh, the tabernacle that would be in Shiloh. It would be there, I believe, for 369 years prior to the building of the Beis HaMikdash in Jerusalem before Solomon. That would be in the section of Yosef. And would also be destroyed in the end. The rabbi has a beautiful uh, teaching on this, where you see that each one is crying over the destruction that is happening in the section of the other. We don't see that Yosef is crying over the Mishkan of Shiloh, or that Benjamin is crying over the two temples in Jerusalem. Why? The rabbi explained that when you have some kind of trouble in your own backyard, it's not you're not supposed to cry about it. You're supposed to do everything you can to fix it. You can't allow yourself the luxury to cry. 
But when it comes to see some destruction that's happening in somebody else's, you try what you can, but ultimately it's their life. You can't control other people. There, there is a, a place for crying. By the way, the hint, um, I think it's from the, from the Gemara in Megillah, <clears throat> that, that the neck is representative of the Beit HaMikdash. The neck is representative of the Holy Temple. Why? Just as the neck is the bridge between the mind, the head, and the rest of the body, so too the Beit HaMikdash is like the bridge between God and the world. Verse 15, now he kisses all of his brothers and he cries over them. It's interesting, it doesn't say that he kissed his brother. Um, <clears throat> so maybe this includes, his, you know, he kissed all of his brothers, including Binyamin, and he cried over them. And after that, after all that, his brothers spoke with him. In other words, they finally spoke with him because as we learned yesterday, initially they were startled, they were quiet, they couldn't respond. Um, they couldn't respond. Also, they couldn't respond to him. So it's only after Meachar, um, as Rashi says, after they saw him crying, that he was wholehearted with them. Then he was able to. They were able to speak to him. At the beginning, they were embarrassed. Right. He was, uh, he, was, he, was, he was crying. Verse 16, when people cry, it has an impact. Verse 16, the voice was heard, meaning the, the, uh, the news got to the house of Paro, saying, the brothers of Joseph have arrived, Paro was happy, it was good in his eyes, and in the eyes of his servants. Verse 17, why was it good in their eyes? Presumably because Yosef was, you know, just a guy who came out of prison. He was a slave. You know, it, it was, they made him the viceroy, but now it's good. He's got a family. He's, he's now he's a more prestigious person. Than he, so that's good for the prestige of Egypt. Verse 17, Paro says to Joseph, tell your brothers, this is what they shall do. Load up your beasts, your animals, with as Rashi explains, with grain, and go to the land of Canaan. And take your, your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you will eat of the fat of the land. It's interesting that we have Yosef's speech to uh, the brothers and what he's offering. He's offering the land of Goshen. And then we have Paro kind of copying Yosef and saying, yeah, go get you, go, go to the land of Canaan. He offers them some, some grain. Bring your father and come, and I'm going to give you the best of Egypt. This is very interesting that it's par it parallels, but with, with various differences. Rashi tells us, what's the good of the land of Egypt? Eretz Goshen, the same land that Yosef was promising. Paro is also promising the same land. He's just referring to it differently. He's calling it the best of the land of Egypt. So the viceroy and king are not in conflict. Rashi tells us that Paro actually said something that was prophetic, even though he himself didn't know that he was prophesying, as in the famous expression, Niba yodea maniba. He, he's saying a prophecy, even though he doesn't know that he's prophesying. What was the prophecy? In the end, when the Jews would leave Egypt, they would take 
all the every, they like it would be like the depths of the sea, which have no fish. They would empty it out, right? They emptied it out. They borrowed the gold and the silver, and then at the at the at the sea, they picked up all the gold and silver that they that had washed ashore. So when he says, "I will give you the best of the land," it's not just when you come, I'm going to give you the best land. Actually, the best of the land is going to go to the Jewish people um, hundreds of years later. Rashi says, Chelev Haaretz. Chelev means, literally means fat, like the fat of the, the fat of the earth. Uh, so Rashi tells us that Chelev, as, as it does in English, is an expression meaning the best. The Smetana, as it's known in Yiddish. Verse 19, and this is, and you are commanded, this is what you shall do. Ah, this is all Paro telling Yosef what he should tell his brothers. Okay. You, Yosef, have been commanded to tell them, take Take from the land of Egypt wagons. Like in Yiddish, you have a balagola, the master of the agala, of the wagon. That's agalot. To your children and to your, for your children and for your wives. They need to ride in class. You can walk. Carry your father and, 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 and come. I think the matter says, you mentioned it last year, that they actually did carry their father uh, physically. In a, in, a, in a nice, comfortable chair. You should tell them that it is in my power to provide for you. Verse 20, you might not be concerned about your utensils. The best of the land of Egypt is yours. Not sure what he means by that. Verse 21, so the children of Israel, meaning the children of Jacob, did so. Yosef gave them wagons by Paro's orders. And he gave them provisions for the way. For all of them, he gave five. I'm sorry, he gave, he gave uh, several changes of clothes. Khalifot smalot. Was his brother after all? He gave him three hundred um, silver pieces of silver. The chomesh chalifa smallest, and he gave him five exchanges of clothes. Verse twenty-three. And to his father he sent this: ten donkeys, who were carrying from the best of the land of Egypt. Rashi will tell us what that is. The eser and ten she donkeys, noises bar velechem, carrying grain, bar is grain, velechem and bread, umozain and food, other food, lo avi for his father, for the way. Rashi says, "What's mituv mituv mitzrayim from the best of Egypt? We find in the Talmud." The Rebbe explains why Rashi in this case says matzinu betalmud. We find in the Talmud. Shashalach usually doesn't say, it just gives the interpretation, and maybe he'll tell you where it is, but it never uses this expression we find in the Talmud. Shashalach le'yayin yashan, he sent him wine, and the parenthesis says it was vintage wine, that the, um, 
elderly people find contentment with it. Interesting, they say here in the brackets in this translation, the fact that wine improves with age often affords contentment to the elderly. Are they saying that, say, look, if wine gets better with age, then the fact that I'm old is not so terrible, like a fine wine. I think the simple meaning, despite the brackets here, is that the wine uh, has a good effect for the elderly. According to the Midrash Gada, this refers to pounded beans, which they say here in the, in the brackets, which have a soothing effect on a troubled spirit. Hmm. Yeah, I forgot what the Rebbe said about this um, this Rashi. I know there's a long... I, I only remember the part where he says Matsino Talmud. Why does it say Matsino Talmud? We have to look that up. Hopefully she will let me with you tomorrow. Mazin is what you eat with the bread. He sends his brothers off and they go. And he says to them, don't quarrel on the way. Um, Rashi has a couple of explanations here. This is a very important phrase. Let's see what Rashi says. First he says, don't get too involved in halachic discussion because otherwise the way will cause you to stray, right? So the translation here says, do not quarrel on the way. But according to Rashi's first interpretation, that's not what it means. It means don't get too involved in Torah study that you're going to get lost. You won't know where you'll, 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 you won't, uh, as we saw before, he said, hurry home. This is my, my understanding of it. He said, hurry home. And as the Rebbe explained, it's very important that you get there quickly because father is suffering every minute that you're not there, especially with Benjamin being imprisoned. So don't get so distracted that you end up missing the exit and you've got to make a U-turn and get stuck in traffic and you're delayed. Dover Acher, second explanation. He's telling them, don't take, uh, do not walk with large steps and enter the city while the sun is shining. In other words, don't wait till dark. So this is a general um, general guidance of when you travel of how you're supposed to do it. The simple meaning is because they were embarrassed, he was afraid that now they're going to start arguing on the way. Over the fact that he was sold. They're going to start arguing. It was your fault that we sold him. Well, it was your fault. You slandered him and caused us to hate him, which caused us to sell him. So it's all your fault. So this is the simple meaning that he's saying, um, don't quarrel. As they translate it, do not quarrel. Rogis also means anger. Rogis means anger also. So um, it could be, it means, you know, don't, don't be in a state of anger with each other by arguing who is right and who is wrong, because he saw that they were ashamed. He saw that they were they felt guilty about it. And it is human nature that when we feel guilty, we try to remove the guilt by giving it to somebody else. Blame somebody else. You take the guilt. No, you take it. 
So they, they ascended from Egypt and they came to the land of Canaan to Yaakov, their father. And they told him, Oid Yosef Chai, the famous phrase, Yosef is still alive. Not only is he alive, but he's in fact the ruler of all of Egypt. His heart changed, meaning he wasn't really sure, went back and forth. He didn't believe them. Verse 27, so, so at this point, until verse 27, he doesn't believe it. Now what happens next? So they say to him all the words of Yosef that he said to them, and he saw the wagons that Yosef had sent to carry him. But And their father's spirit was revived. So there was something about what they said now and seeing the wagons that now they believe, now he believed it. What was that? The verse doesn't tell us. Rashi does. That's why we learn with Rashi. It's called He gave his brothers a sign what he and his father Yaakov were studying, what Yosef and Yaakov were studying at the time that Yosef left Yaakov for the last time 22 years before. When Yaakov said to Yosef, go check on the brothers in Shem, just before that they were studying. And what were they studying about? Yosef told them, here's what I was studying with our father just before I left. Parshas Eglo Arufa, the part of the Torah which speaks about when, when, when there's a, a corpse that is found between two cities. We measure which is the closest city, and that city is considered guilty for this death. And there's a whole process they have to go through with the, with the Eglo Arufa. And that's what it means, we said before, agala is a wagon, but it could also be an egel, which is a calf, or egla, uh, a heifer. That's why it says that Yosef sent, the wagons that Yosef sent, but we learned earlier that Paro was the one who sent the wagons. So based on Rashi's interpretation, we understand, because it wasn't the physical wagons, it was the sign that Yosef had said that um, we had been learning about Agala or Egla, about the Egla Rufa, the law of the the, um, the beheaded calf. Now, finally, the Shechina, which had departed from him because of his grief, rested upon him once again. Wow. Quite an Aliyah, quite a Parsha. We will open it up now to questions and comments. Don't all jump in at once. But somebody's got to jump in. There's so much happening. Let me just jump in with this. I don't know if this... I was just thinking about this when you're talking about all the different things that happened between Joseph and his brothers. And, and these premonitions, in a way, that he foresaw the destruction of the temple in the future, hundreds of years later. Kind so of sorry. Um, I cannot hear you. Can I hear you? We can hear you, Bill. Oh, yeah. um, this, uh, the, 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 ah, there we go. Okay, sorry. Can you say well, that one more time? I was just thinking that as you were talking, there were so many things that happened there between Joseph and his brothers. And um, but 
he, he had premonition of even of the destruction of the temple years later. He, he was good at seeing. Sorry, Bill, I can't hear you. You can't hear me. I'm sorry. It's just low, low. It's low. Okay. I'm low. Yeah. Yeah. My. Can anyone else hear Bill? Is it just me? I can hear, hear Bill. Him? I can hear. Him. I can't hear anybody. Okay. It's definitely me. My apologies. Speakers are on. Second year. Make sure you pick the right speakers. Can can you hear? Can hear you. You know what? Let me let me log out and log back in. See what happened over here. <laughs> 